this whole intro where we say hi to each other, but I guess we won't. We'll skip that. That would be a little weird, I think. All right. You want to you wanna drive for me a little bit? I can drive, Okay. I think. So let's talk about what we do. I mean, a little bit of an overview and some of the ways what we do is different than what your high school teachers do. So, okay. um, our job performance is evaluated by other professors. We mentioned this yesterday. So this is one of the things. So when we are trying to prove that we should stay here, that we're going to get tenure, not tenure, but tenure, <laughs> then we need to convince other professors. We need to convince other tenured professors, basically. We are trying to convince the people in the club that we should be in the club. <laughs> it's basically what it boils down to. We and our bosses consider you as paying to have access to us, not for a grade oh, or the ability to tell us what to do, but rather that when you pay tuition at a college, you are paying for access to the professors that are there for our time. We do care about how you do as a student, and we do care about you as a person. It is your responsibility to come ask us for help if you need it in college. Wow, you're blowing through that. Okay. And we are happy to help you. I mean, well, I'm going to contrast this with, with high school uh, teachers. Okay. Where our bosses can't make us much, do much of anything. There are very few sort of carrots or sticks that the administration has. So that lady who just came in, that's Dr. Weitzel, she's the president of our college. She is my boss's boss. So between officially in, in the hierarchy of, of who I need to convince, there's the personnel committee who will recommend me for tenure. But if somebody has a problem with me, the next person up that you have to talk to is, the, is our vice president of academic affairs. And if it needs to go up from there, it goes up to the president. And that's basically where the buck stops. You, know, you can, under really big uh, um, problems try to push up the um, board of trustees, but they basically are going to rubber stamp whatever the president says. And so there are only two people above me that you can appeal to if you're like, Dr. Highland is really bad and needs to go. But the other thing is that the decision on trying to get me to do what they want, that decision is made in the first five to seven years when they decide to grant me tenure or not. At the point that they grant me tenure, it becomes really difficult to get rid of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, for better or worse. For better or worse, yes. Do you have tenure? Are you like on the tenure? I'm, I'm tenure track. Okay. I will go for tenure next year. Okay. So in August, I will submit my dossier saying, here's all the evidence that I've collected to show that you, you should keep me here. And then it will go to the personnel committee. They will make a recommendation to the Vice President of Academic Affairs. She will make a recommendation to the President. The President will make a recommendation to the Board of Trustees. The Board of Trustees will rule whether to grant me tenure in one of the spring uh, board meetings. And I'll be notified towards the end of next spring. So I will submit yeah. in basically August or September. I have to notify August 1st that I Yeah, I don't think it's due until October, though. Yeah, but I won't know until basically the end of the spring semester. Also, we don't usually go up for tenure unless we're pretty sure, because if you get denied tenure, there's, there's really no you usually have chances. to find another job. Yeah. Yeah. It like, is a one-shot deal. So when I go up for tenure and I apply for tenure. Is that why you wait like five to seven years? That's standard. That's standard. Five to seven years is your standard, but it also gives you time to sort of collect and accrue and for the other faculty to get to know you so that when I submit and 
the personnel committee says, hey, anybody would like to write letters in support or against uh, Professor Highland getting tenure, people know who I am. If I were to go up in the first year I was here, one, that's not allowed by the, by the rules at our college. I can't do that. I cannot, like it's not possible. Uh, I think the earliest you can do it here is four years in. But you must, you have to be really doing some crazy awesome stuff. I think one of the, they reworked the faculty handbook, which is like our rule book essentially, and it's something like extraordinary and like, or previous, uh, previous. But like to go up for early tenure, like you have to be like a freaking rock star, and you have to be one hundred percent sure of your rock star status. And we're all kind of like, Basically. well, so pretty cool, but <laughs> you go in it knowing that you'll probably. You should. You should. If you go in it, I mean, it's, it's possible that you can go in it not knowing because there's a, there's there's a minimum like here's the earliest you can do it, and you better be either a rock star or have prior experience. I'm going up actually early because I have prior experience. I was a professor at another institution before I came here, and so that counts on my tenure clock. So I've been here. I came in with Melody, but I will go up for tenure before Melody because this is not my first teaching gig. There's also a maximum. You have to go up by a certain time, and if you like the clock runs out and then you automatically go up and if you don't make it then it's over. Yes. Is there like a lot of people going up for that like y'all gotta fight for like, one position or is it? No. No. no Thank that, God. Gladiator style. Yeah, that would be rough. That would be super rough. I'm better. Uh, so the way it works for faculty is that there are what are called lines, tenure lines. These are uh, basically the college administration has budgeted money for a certain number of faculty in each field. So we have one physics line, that's me. I am currently occupying it. So when I come in as a tenure track, I get paid that amount and I am now occupying it. They cannot hire anybody else tenure track unless they open up a new line. In which case, now somebody else is gonna come in, they're gonna also be on the tenure track, they're gonna wait there six years-ish until they can go up for tenure as well. But there's only one person per line at a time. And if somebody fails to make tenure, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal for that person. It's also a big deal for the college because they basically let you go. They do not renew your contract. They don't technically fire you because firing means that I terminate your contract in the middle of that contract, period. But they just don't hire you for the next year. And then they have to search for a new one. And that's an expensive, time-consuming process. If I don't make tenure or I leave or I die, then the, the college has to search. Do I get an A if you die? No. <laughs> Especially not you. But can I give A's if you die? You can always give A's, Melody. If your students earn it. But, so, if, uh, if I leave for whatever reason, the college has to go through what's called a search process. They have to form a committee out of members, usually of my division, so there'll be a number of uh, faculty from the science division who will gather together. They'll have also one external member from a different division, and they will put out an ad in various places where uh, PhDs look for faculty jobs. They'll read through a ton of submissions. They'll decide on a short list. They'll do some Skype interviews. They'll invite people to campus. This all takes time. And, uh, and then they will offer to somebody. And that somebody will either accept, yay, or say no, ooh. And then we have to go to the next person line, and the next person line, and the next person line. This uh, costs the college a lot of money. Yeah. They don't like to do searches. So. They'd rather keep good people 
then try to. Yeah. And so that's that's part of what the ten-year process is meant to do: is to make sure, is to vet. You have a five to seven-year vetting period where they like, is this person of quality that we want to keep or no? Is this for like all colleges or just this? I mean, there are some colleges, very few, but there's a small national trend to do away with tenure mm -hmm. because some people get overly protected and then you can't fire them. But that is a, like a very small minority. But for the most part, this is the system. And so when we went to grad school, a tenure track position was our goal. Now tenure is our goal. Yes. And then after 10 years, it's whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. What about like community? It's usually the same. I think it's usually the same. I, I have not worked at a community college. I have some friends who do, but I haven't had a chance to pick their brains. My ten, my friends who are at community colleges are tenure track. Community colleges are trying to raise the bar because they're now competing with small liberal arts and big universities and colleges, and so they hire PhDs. They have tenure track positions, and so they're the, the academic game is definitely yeah a lot tighter than it used to be. Yeah, good questions. I know what I'm doing. Hold on. What? <laughs> Our students are legal adults and are responsible for their own actions. Thank so, God. <laughs> <laughs> so the default assumption is not true for every student in particular, but this system is set up for 18-year-olds, age, age of majority, which means legalistically there is a fundamental difference between our students who come to college and you as high school students. And that has to do with the legal aspects of what's going on. Okay. Oh, high school teachers. So high school teachers, their job performance is evaluated partly through standardized testing. So how you do on standardized testing is at your school determines how your teachers are evaluated. Not that you should bomb standardized tests just to spite them, but if you do poorly, that affects them. Not just as money coming in, but those actual teachers who are teaching those students. Not true for me. Yeah. Societyism is providing required educational service to students. I mean, legally, yes. You are required by law to go to high school, and that means that those schools are funded by state and federal dollars. So not just society sees them as, but they are providing a required service to you, which you don't pay for your tax dollars pay for. Some people see this as providing a grade. So that's one of the things is that they're providing you a service for free. Some people see this as providing a, a certain result, right? That you must, that you you should get it at least a B because you're going to high school or something like that. Uh, they care about you as students and people. They do. I mean, they should anyway. You probably have bad high school teachers that are also seriously bad, jerky college professors, but in general. Okay. It is their responsibility to identify students that are having difficulties and notify them of services. They're legally required to do so. You don't have to pay attention. They have to pay attention. If you're struggling, it falls on them to notice that you are struggling and then to tell you, hey, we have some Saturday classes to do, we got some after-hour stuff, whatever it is that, that the services that they provide, they are required to tell you about those services. They probably will then call your parents if you're having trouble and do everything they can to get your parents and everybody else to pressure you into taking advantage of those services. We don't do that. They're happy to help you, generally. Usually. <clears throat> their bosses have many and strong means of making them change their methods. Their continued employment rests on having certification in the field, 
So and you have to maintain knowledge for those certifications. There, uh, they also do professional development, which is separate from certifications, staying abreast of the latest pedagogical techniques and stuff like this. That's usually required to stay employed. Yes, yeah, so the teachers have professional development. They, they usually get it done before school starts. Do professors do that also? So part of our tenure was like we have service, we have research, and part of that research and um, that professional development falls in there. So oh, yeah, and like publishing and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Right. And so we go to conferences, we present at conferences. We so it's kind of the same, but kind of. Well, we're not mandated by like state law. Like we do it because we like well one we do want tenure. But two, most of us who are like interested in being good teachers and up to date in our field do it because that's what we love to do. I mean, we're big nerdy students. Yeah. 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 I mean, by the way, every professor is a nerd. We have PhDs. There's no, there's no way we're not. We're nerd in some sense. That's a good thing. But one of the things is that your high school teachers are required to do professional development, usually in pedagogy. We're required to do professional development for our field, and what that looks like is different in different fields and at different schools. At a research intensive, and R1 is another term for this, big state schools are bringing lots of research money. Professional development for them is strictly research. It's not about pedagogy, it's not about being a good teacher, it's about being a fantastic researcher and what doing that research. Teaching, okay, oh yeah. We so for them, they don't have, I mean, we mentioned this last time, they don't have to be a good teacher if you're at one of these institutions. You have to be, you have to be a fantastic researcher and be doing awesome research. That is what is required to keep your job at those places. If you're at Harvard, uh, I, I have a friend who had, did a postdoc at Harvard, and she has a friend who was a professor at Harvard. So this is a little third hand, but I'm pretty sure this is Mujuda. life professor who was on tenure track at Harvard won a teaching award. Fantastic, right? Her, her mentor, so the member of the faculty who is tasked with making sure that she understands what she needs to do as a faculty member to do well at Harvard, says, you gotta stop doing this. If you're getting teaching awards, you're not doing enough research. It's gonna hurt you for your tenure bid. So that, I mean, Harvard is an extreme example. Harvard physics is like one of the most cutthroat physics departments in the country, is my understanding. And so that is like the full other opposite of what professional development means for a faculty member at college versus a high school. Uh, high school students are not legal adults and are not responsible for their actions. That's the other thing, is that much of what you can get away with in high school, if you choose to try to get away with things, is you can do so because you are legally not age of majority, you are not legally an adult. This is not to make you feel bad or be all like, you're not true or anything, that's just the legal definition, and that changes when you come here. The system is set up for 18 years. All right, you've answered questions on the form. Or asked questions. Or asked questions. Or, I don't know answered what it was. some and asked others. Okay. okay. You've given us feedback on your work with, so let's break down some of this. You don't have to go to class, but you won't stay at college if you don't go. That is generally absolutely correct. One of my students said, uh, I was asking them, well, what is their biggest surprise being at college? And they're like, all of my friends who had gone to college before said, you don't have to go to class. And she's like, that's so not true. Everybody I know has an attendance policy. And even if they don't, if you're not there, there's no way you can get a good grade or sometimes pass. So yeah, you don't have to in some cases. Do you take attendance? Or do I, you have an attendance policy? I, uh, so I don't have an attendance policy. I do tend to take attendance. 
so that I can keep track of if a student is, you know, habitually not showing up, I can send them a notification. In my classes, like I said, we talk about what's going on. In my calculus-based physics, there's like six of us. I start basically every class asking my students, what do we need to talk about? So you've done the reading. What didn't make sense? What do we need to spend our time on? I get yammer on for hours. Melody knows this. <laughs> that, uh, but I want to spend our time talking about what is going to be useful to my students. And so if you don't show up, you don't get to ask about what you don't understand. You don't understand it any better. You're not going to do so well on the quizzes and exams. Yeah. Uh, first year writing, I'm the director of the first year writing program, and we have a attendance policy for all first year writing classes. So as we get up into the upper division, usually those attendance policies are lax or non-existent. But again, if you have six people in a class, it's really obvious who's not there. <laughs> At a larger school where you do have a lecture hall of 250 students, it's not going to be as big of a deal. So, I mean, it does depend on the type of institution. It also might depend on the type of class. If it's a lecture-based class where you really do just take tests, which they, those exist, you can show up and take the test and pass, but most of the time not a big deal. But like discussion-based classes that require participation or in-class activities, that really does matter. So yeah, you can uh, fail a class. You can fail my class for simply not coming. So that's on the syllabus. Yeah, I, I have taught a, a short one credit class at Co-Top. So we taught it only half a semester. So there were something like eight, eight weeks. weeks. Yeah. If you miss three times, you just failed the course. That was in our syllabus. Like that's just, it's not, it's so few numbers of meetings that. It's really generous. Like the third time you miss, you're just done. Oh, you're gonna let me talk? Oh yeah, go for it. Here, I'll drive. Oh, you don't have to drive. It's fine. So in college, you learn more uh, about specific things than you do in high school. This is true. Although I do want to mention that almost all colleges, and universities have what's called a core or like a core curriculum. So for the first two years, you're going to be taking some of the same classes. At least you feel like, oh, I already took this in high school. So we have writing, you have math. We have uh, classes in the social sciences, so like anthropology, sociology, psychology. Can we you have, take that as a science? That's a social science. So there's math and science, which that's his division. So that's, he does science with a lab, so biology with a lab, astronomy with a lab, physics with a lab. That's right. All the labs. Yes, ma'am. Do you have common core? Not in the same way of that, not, not in the same way, but kind of. So there is a core, um, and like in, so we're a private college, so we don't have to adhere to a lot of the state standards. But like in Kansas, for example, I've taught before, they, every state school in Kansas has the same two-year, like lower division level core requirements so that you can transfer between institutions without losing anything or whatever. So in a sense, yes, but in not exactly what you're talking about. So, <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> uh, so the rule, rule. The 15 minute rule. The 15 minute rule. So this is what I've heard, and I don't know if this is true. You know, we were talking yesterday about, uh, de it depends on maybe the level of your professor or your instructor, how long you have to, have you heard this? I have not heard this. Okay. Go, but please. So if you have a graduate student, which if you go to a large state school, Peter and I both taught classes as graduate students, you only have to stay for five minutes. That's what I heard. Uh, if you have a non-tenure track professor, like an adjunct or a lecturer, you only have to stay for 10. But if you have a, a professor or a tenure track professor, you have to stay for 15. 
Okay. That's what I heard. That's what you heard. Yeah. Okay, so there are two things which govern the way um, faculty and students uh, have to do all the things. For the faculty, it's the faculty handbook. For the students, it's the student handbook. So everything that is an actual rule will be in there. Yeah, not the a 15-minute rule. rule is never in there. It's a decent rule of thumb. 15 minutes is roughly a quarter of an entire class period. If somebody's 15 minutes late, they probably aren't coming. But there is no actual thing. If they show up, if you all bug out, and then at 16 minutes they walk in, and they decide to count you as absent, well, I can you're do absent. <laughs> like, there is no 15 minute rule in that way. You may be able to negotiate a standard with that professor, or ask like, how late can you be, person who's always late, before we should just assume you're not coming. Um, that's a reasonable question to ask. <laughs> but in terms of an actual thing, this be all like, well, they were here 15 minutes after class started, so we didn't. We just left. It's like that's that is not a thing yeah. that is actually going to count. It doesn't happen very often. I don't think. All right. Oh, there are professors that will help you learn, but don't help you in ways that high school teachers might. I don't know how to take that. Um, I'm freaking helpful is what I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably depends on your high school. It depends on your high school teachers and on your college professors. So, I would say, I'm willing to certainly meet with students one on one. But I have, I, mean, I have a full time job here as a professor. I have a family. I go home at four. Usually is what happens, and then I'm not really available to you. Maybe there are many like, like. They're more real. Like college teachers don't have to watch <laughs> what they can say. Like they can be more real. Like some problems, like involve like home and stuff, and like kids don't talk about that because you're under 18. But like in college, like you're legal and you can talk about like real stuff. So uh, if students want to, I never I mean, really want to talk about. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, we are people. You can talk to us as people. You can address things. Most professors, I believe, if you're like, there's some real stuff going now with my family and this is gonna be a really rough week, they would be understanding and accommodating because all of us have had times when there's been some really rough you know, personal stuff going on. We don't have any <coughs> resources or power to help with that sort of thing. It's actually your high school teachers and administration and support there that has actual legal ability to jump in if they see things. They actually disability have, they have a legal requirement to do so. If you were to say, there's some really bad stuff going going down in my home life, <coughs> they have a legal responsibility to help you. Or maybe like, or some kids don't learn by Ryan, maybe you could like throw a bouncy ball on top. Nope. That is unlikely <laughs> to happen here. One, I'm not coordinated, and two, writing is super important. <laughs> But I don't know, like, we work, and this is different. I mean, we're a very different kind of college um, in that we have a really um, high number of professors. So, like, our student-teacher ratio our student is, like, to teacher nine to one. ratio is, yeah, our, our teacher-to-student is high, our student-to-teacher okay, is low. We have small classes, which means you have high contact with us here. This is probably the, this all of you, this is the biggest thing I've seen. Of this class? Yeah. I, I've never taught a class here remotely this size. Yeah. And everybody has to take writing. Haha, <laughs> sorry. So, those are usually our biggest classes, I think. Well, they're like capped, well, last semester they were capped at 12, but 15, which is a really low cap. So, like, that's actually, like, 
way below the national standards. We have really small class sizes, so it allows for a lot of one-on-one. -on -one. I meet with my students um, individually a few times a semester on writing projects. They get extensive feedback on their writing. So like, sure, you, if you go to a larger place, and I'm not trying to be like, you should go here, blah, blah, blah. It's whatever works for you. Um, but if you're in a classroom of 250 people, you're not going to get that kind of attention. So in terms of ways that high school teachers might, that might be true at a different place. You might get different kinds or less. Yeah. And also keep in mind that as faculty, we're required to do professional development, but that for many faculty members, that's not pedagogical training. It's not how to teach. It's how to do their work for research. And so that means that your college professors are probably going to be less informed about what the best practices for instruction are. That's not where they need to spend their time to keep their job. And so that's not where they spend their time, most of them. Not us, we're awesome. Oh. So this is where it's not true what you wrote down. <laughs> time to study. Professors do not give grades for participation. I mean, I don't, but a lot of people do. Yeah. Lots of people. So there are some classes where the, the discussion, the participation is really important, especially here where we have smaller classes. So there are professors, there are classes where participation is part of your grade. And that's, sometimes it's just attendance as part of participation. So they might not have an attendance policy, but they have a participation policy. So if you're there and you're like generally awake, <laughs> That counts. I know people who like literally mark down every time someone asks a question or makes a comment. I mean, that's a lot of work for me, but some people, they want to do that. That's their thing. That's cool. But no, participation is a thing, um, and it is expected. Yeah. If not I mean, required, it's definitely expected. In my classes, participation is not part of your grade, but I expect you to participate in my classes, and so I will, I will push you as, if you're my students, to actually ask me questions and do things like that. Okay, college is hard, or it's easier than high school. Oh. <laughs> that depends, it depends on where you go, really. Oh, it depends on your background. Yeah, I mean, well, it depends on where you go to college, it depends on where you went to high school. Yeah. It depends on a whole bunch of things between those, that transition. My wife went to probably one of the best high schools in the country, and we went to the same college as where we met, uh, she thought it was really easy. I went to a good high school in my region. I did not get a bad education. It was rough for me. You made a C? And I made a C in freshman composition in my first semester. So that, that was, I was a, I got a 4.0 in high school in my first semester. Uh, taking 13 credit hours, I got, I got a C in freshman composition. That was, that was rough. So, I mean, for me, what I've noticed is that if you're from a smaller high school, and that's not to say, I mean, I can come from a small high school too, I'm not trying to badmouth anything, but students from smaller high schools where there's like, you know, 30 people in their graduating class, they're like, well, I'm the best person in my class, but when they come to college, they're no longer in that, they're more in the middle or sometimes lower. Um, so it just depends. For some people, it will be easy. I have some students who are like, God, I already know all this stuff. Why do I have to do it? And then I have some students like, I've never had to do this before. I'm totally out of my element. So it really just runs the gamut. No. Hmm? No. <laughs> so can we count on our AP credits counting as classes in college? No. You can't count on that. You can't count on it, but you should plan it um, plan it, I guess. I think it did, so, like the word pass is the problem here. So if you get a five on the AP test, 
in a subject that is not your major, you will almost certainly have that count for the class that you don't then don't need to take. I would if you get a five on the AP test I'd in your careful. subject, you almost certainly will have to take that class anyway. I got a five on the physics A B or was it B whatever the first one for physics. I'm a physics major. I still had to take first semester physics when I went to college because in the major they want you to take all those classes. I got I think a five on the calculus. A, B, whatever the I don't is. know. And did not have to take calculus one because that's not my major. Had I been a math major, I probably would have had to take it anyway. The probably the most useful AP that I took being a physics major was the micro macro econ. Because that's not related to what I was doing and therefore totally counted. Well, I'm just going to speak from a writing standpoint. One, I never took an AP class or an AP test. It wasn't offered in my tiny high school. Um, but like in our catalog, which we could probably talk about a little bit, we have very specific stipulations. Like if you make this, you get this credit. If you make this, you get this credit. So it depends on your score. And so what you're going to want to do is look at each college's catalog to see what kind of score they will take and what classes those count for. Sometimes they count for just elective credits and sometimes they count for major credits like for the core. So that's something you need to think about. So I'm taking Compline 2 and College Algebra senior year. I heard Valerie told me that I would have to like petition for my comp one or two to come through. For here? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, there are, are guidelines. So like you have to have a certain score on your ACT and SAT in addition to that. And it can't be taken on a high school campus. It has to be a college campus. So if you took it concurrently with your high school teacher on your high school campus, we're not going to take it. And I know everyone's like, oh, you're ripping people off. I'm not ripping people off. I just have no way to know that that person is like, bringing you up to where you need to be with writing. So I can either. I'm taking it like on my campus, but through John Brown University. Okay. I mean, so I it would just depend. Yeah. And that's like, that's something the registrar actually does. I mean, if you don't like what she says, then you appeal to me because I'm that person. Yeah. And you have to provide paperwork. There's always an appeal process. Well, almost always. Um, at places, so even if the registrar is like, no, then you're like, well, wait, I have all these assignments. Keep your syllabus, keep all of your assignments, keep your graded assignments, keep everything. And I'll say that for every class that you take concurrently or, you know, like on a, like through community college or whatever you're doing, keep everything so that you can petition. Because if you're like, well, I, I promise we did research, doesn't matter what you promise me. Yeah, <laughs> I need, need to the, see it. The evidence of it. I will say that having, and I think I mentioned this yesterday, that. I have more faith in AP test scores than I do in dual enrollment because I've had so many students who have been dual enrolled in a college class taken on the campus or at, or at their high school where they just not as, they're not where they need to be for my class. Uh, you had a question again. Oh, well, I was going to actually ask that too about if we were interning at college class um, while still in high school. Yeah. I, I think that that's fine. It's good. and and. And it, all things being equal, mean like it's not going to be a financial burden for you. Having that that background, having a seen it before, even if it doesn't have accounting, is good for making sure that things move more smoothly for you when you you know go to a, a four-year institution. Would Although, but that's you know. That's but would it count to like the when you do take those college classes? Would would you have to redo them again? It depends. It dep it's always a negotiation, yeah. like I said. So if you took physics. If you took two semesters of physics and you're going to be, uh, I don't know, a writing major, I'd probably be like, sure, whatever. <laughs> because like, you're not going to be doing it. I don't really care. If you took one semester of physics and 
and have to take the second semester because you can be a health science major, I'm really going to want to sit down with you and check whether you actually understand at the level that I need you to understand. Because I don't want you to, because the thing is, like, I don't, it's not like I'm vindictive and I'm like, you can only take my classes. Like, the second semester builds on the first semester, and the, the book that I use and the curriculum that I use is, is specific and different than high schools and most colleges. I want you to be able to do that and excel at that. And so saying, no, you're going to have to take this on this semester is not about punishing anybody for making a poor decision. It's about making sure that you're not going to fall flat on your face when you come into the second semester. Right? Our, we see our jobs as preparing you to move forward in whatever it is that you're doing or within our fields. And so if you have to take that second semester of physics, I want to make sure that you actually can pass it. Pass it. That you're not going to be like, I hate my life. I could drop all of the classes and just take this one class and maybe squeak by. I don't want that to be a student situation. You know, I want, I want to make sure that if you're going to take that second semester, you're going to do well in that second semester. And that's the same with writing. Like, for example, if, like she's saying, I'm taking comp one and two. I mean, my responsibility is to make sure that she can succeed in writing in all of her other courses beyond comp one and two, because that's the purpose of those classes. And if I'm like, wow, you haven't done any research and I know that every class passes is going to require you to know how to do research and properly cite sources, I would be remiss if I'm like, sure, go on through. You don't have the skills. You'll probably fail a few other classes, but. Yeah, we don't want to set you up for failure is really what this comes down to. And that's why it's a negotiation. Because it's understandable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, my job is to try to get you to succeed here, right? And so like, I'm like, well, here's what I know is going to happen. I mean, I know what happens in Peter's classes. I know what happens in lots of other classes. I know what writing assignments are expected of students at different levels. So I know kind of like, are you ready for those? And if you're not, then I really need you to probably retake this class. And it's nothing personal. It's just that would, that's my like duty to make sure. Do you think you have a better chance of like getting like the credit in college if you take an online AP class? I have, I have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that online matters, at least not in our catalog. It just says AP or concurrent. It doesn't matter if it's online. What's important, I think, what's most important is your score on the AP exam. Um, are the catalogs for every college, like, on their website? Yeah. Or is it, okay. They are. It should be, yes. Um, well, ours is. Ours is. So if you go to cotty.edu and you type in catalog in the search, now the catalog is last academic year's catalog. We haven't updated it for this academic year, but you can see all of the policies. Does it change quite a bit? Usually about every two to three years. Yeah, so if, uh, so we are adding four-year degrees as part of you know, what we're doing now that we are a four-year institution, so our catalog changes as we add those majors. Those majors need to be incorporated into the catalog, so what the requirements for the majors are. If you add minors, those need to be incorporated into the catalog. Um, yeah, I heard it's gonna change since Howard's on yeah. yeah. We have we have also changed what our core requirements are and required courses, and so that also needs to be incorporated into our catalog. So the next academic year, all incoming students are required to take the first year writing seminar, uh, which Melody and I and a number of other faculty will be teaching sections of. That needs to be incorporated into our catalog. So if you if you actually sat down with a school's course catalog and read it cover to cover, then you would know everything there is to know about majors and minors and credit hours and everything about taking classes at that school. So like for ours is a searchable PDF and that's really what most people's are like because I do a lot of research about other colleges 
Um, but you just search transfer and there's a transfer policy section and it tells you what the policies are for all classes, not just writing, but for you know, everything you could possibly take in terms of AP or in the stipulations were like, well, here are the criteria you have to meet for this class to count. So, and you can probably do that with 99% of all other places you're thinking about. And if you're, that's, I mean, that's a strategy. If you're like, well, I need these credits to count, then you might want to look at those catalogs to see which ones are going to offer you the most credits. So I am taking all my core classes for college in my senior year. Um, and I might graduate my senior year with an associate's degree. Oh, okay. Would that be all right, like transferred here, and would I have to like take any of those four classes again? You have to, so. It depends. It depends, first. so here we have a requirement that um, if you're getting a bachelor's degree that requires 120 credit hours, and 60 of those must be taken here. I don't think we have a requirement on. Actually, we have consortium, or we have articulation agreements. I don't know which college is going to. But that we recognize associate's degrees as a whole package, and so you just start right in your major. So it would depend on where you're coming from, and I don't know which college. Okay, and I don't know, that's a registrar office question, but most of the time if you come in with an associate's, at least from my standpoint, if you've completed that many credits, I'm like, cool, you don't really need to take any more writing classes, go on. But that might be individual program people's call. And it's also colleges. I've been at places where your your core requirements, they required 50% of the core requirements to be taken at that institution. So you could come in with credit for that accounts for every single one of them, you will have to retake half of them at that institution. Yeah. Because they want you to have, when you walk out with their degree, they want it to be their degree. They want you to take in a certain amount of the courses from them so that you are have their education. And uh, this is to protect against people who might come in with a whole bunch of transfer credit, take a single credit at Harvard and be like, Harvard degree! They're like, no, 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 that was like 116 credits at someplace else and four credits at Harvard, you don't get a Harvard degree. So that's usually where these kind of requirements come from. And not here, I don't think, uh, but at other liberal arts, they will, the liberal arts is about having this breadth of knowledge. Some places will be like, no, we're gonna enforce that 50% rule at the core requirements as well, because they want you to have the breadth from their institution, not just from another institution. So I would definitely talk to transfer counselors about that, yeah. at the places you're looking at going, just to see. Yeah, because I already started taking some right. so it's like, I don't want to do them all over again. Right, and you don't want to waste your time either. Like, if you know they're not gonna transfer, then just like have a chill senior year and not worry about it, but. <laughs> If they're going to and you feel like it's a good deal, then like that you might just, I mean, start shooting some emails out. So the best thing you can do is to like ask a ton of questions and just be like, hey, here's what I'm thinking, would this work? And they might give you a lot of, well, it depends. But then you're like, okay, well, here's the classes I'm specifically thinking about and they can usually tell you if they're gonna work. So I took one Spanish class and I hate it and don't want to take a second Spanish class, but two foreign languages same language or required? Depends. <laughs> so, so what does it depend on? It, it depends, depends on, on your major. major. Here. So if you want an associate's degree from here, though, you have to do that. Not an associate's of science. Well, then you can do science. You can do an associate's of science and not take languages. Some of the four-year majors require a foreign language. Some of them do not. If I were to like do an international degree, though, I, I think they probably would. Spanish. Like, what, maybe I could do like online Chinese or something. It would be yeah. really hard, but... I like, mean, you will need to talk, I mean, that you'll need to negotiate yeah. with the registrar. 
Or with that program director. Or with that program director. What if you're like super bad at Spanish, <laughs> but you took four right. years of Spanish in high school? Like you're super bad at it, but you still did it. You it doesn't matter. You passed the class. Uh, no, it I, doesn't matter. You still did it? No, you still have to take it. Unless I mean, you so want to tie a test out of it, yeah. but I don't, if you're super bad at it. Usually it's the testing out that will get you out of the college classes, not the high school classes. So taking physics in high school will not get you out of taking physics in Oh, so I don't have to take two foreign languages in high school to get in. I thought that was like required to Usually like, it's to get graduate. Out. Okay. I thought you well, had to just I thought it was required like, for this college to have at least two years of a language. That's what it's on our schedule. Yeah. Or is it not required? That's why I was I don't want to talk about those because I don't know the answer to that, but some of those admissions things are kind of squishy. Okay. It's like a lunch. So like the Spanish professor gives a test at the beginning of the semester and she sees where you are and says, hey, I recommend that you come do this or whatever. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask that too because I take sign language as my foreign language, which I know was not recognized as a foreign language in many universities in the country. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can apply or can petition. petition to have that counted. And at least at one institution I've been at, that has been recognized. Well, I know, yeah. Why one of everywhere where I am, except for like one university in my state, but I know it's not recognized everywhere in the country. Although the foreign language person was not super thrilled about it, she did allow for sign language to count for one of our students here. I mean, she, again, she's like, but she signed off on it. So. <laughs> Many, not all college grades are composed only of only exams. Uh, false. Yeah, pretty false. <laughs> I don't have exams. Well, I do have my grammar class, but I don't have exams in writing. So, I mean, it depends on the classes. There are relatively few classes that I know of that are just all exams. I mean, yes, you can have classes what where class? it is all exams. They tend to be science classes, not mine. Well, math, math, math tends to be, I mean. But there's also homework. But doesn't always count. Yeah, homework's not always great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the class. It depends on what the professor has decided to do. So I have, my calculus-based physics has homework and exams. Grade both? I grade both. Yes. I, I am the one who has to grade it. I don't have graduate students. So every week there's homework that needs to be done. Every three-ish chapters there's an exam to be done. So, so homework can help you. So I know uh, mostly homework in high school, it gives you a lot of money. Do the exams give you more money to the college or is the homework? Exams tend, in my experience in physics, exams tend to be weighted as much as the homework altogether, a single exam. So the, the point is not to like blow off the homework. The homework is there to like prepare you for the exam. So you need to be crushing the homework so that you're ready for the exam, so you can crush the exam. I set it up so that homework can actually lower your grade by a letter grade if you blow it off. So that All like, right. well, if you don't want to do it, that's fine, but you won't make an A. You probably won't do well on the quizzes or exams either if you don't do the homework. I've seen this in, in my astronomy class. My students who do not do homework and do not turn it in, they don't do well on the quiz. So they're getting basically hit double for it because they can't be bothered to do my homework that means that they can't be bothered to do well with my questions. Well, what if you had a student that didn't really do the homework, but like actually did the test? Well, then that would probably balance out. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean. I mean, numbers are numbers. I'm not going to be like, <laughs> no, you can't do that. But I mean, sometimes <laughs> I want to, but. I need to look at the way the class is set up. Like, usually my homeworks are roughly 10%. Mm -hmm. 
So you're going to lose 10% if you don't do it. If you crush the, the quizzes or exams, that's great. You get whatever amount that is. All right, so you can continue to put questions or statements on the form. Uh, tomorrow we're talking about writing, just writing. And then I have a student who's coming in who is in my writing classes to kind of talk about the differences and expectations between high school and college level writing because I found they are a lot different. Yeah, not <laughs> different. <Very>. Yeah. <laughs>